1: Today. Right
2: today. Right Where else would you right be than, here than here here or here or right here? Right now.
1: now. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be
2: aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are gonna turn around and devour my brain. The
0: Bills make me wanna Jump. Oh.
1: target so far little tunnel screen here set up for Tony Tony so electric still on his feet Kadarius Tony how do you do it might be the shiftiest player in college football
0: Kadarius Tony on the score Tony on the other side of the field great okie Doke. And they score the touchdown! Gotcha! The Darius Tony took advantage of the misdirection in punt coverage.
2: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Mike Morgan and Mark Jones of ESPN on Bill's fan favorite prospect in the upcoming draft. Kadarius Tony from Florida University. Ah, uh, Chris, free at last, free at last. You can see me right now.
1: You're in a garage. <laughs> You're in your garage.
2: Uh, folks, it seems like forever ago since I last talked to you. I got to tell you, it's been wild over here. This uh COVID quarantine, no joke, but I'm c- coming to you from my garage. The, the, one of the few places, apparently on Earth, that I can walk around without a mask, with a drink in my hand. I gotta tell you, it's it's a good time to be alive. Chris, what's going on with you these
1: last ten days? I can't open my mouth.
2: Mm-hmm. Got Lockjaw again?
1: Lockjaw again. It's, this is worse than the last time I had it.
2: Is there a more beat-up podcast than the Rockpile Report right now?
1: None. No. I
2: feel like you really have to work to find a more down-and-out podcast out there. No, I mean, the last 10 days have been hell, um, but it's almost over. I'm pretty much getting, I'm, I'm getting out. I feel like, I feel like, you know, what's hilarious, Chris. I actually have my COVID vaccination scheduled for Friday. So the fact that I just now got COVID, I feel like it's like the Robert Duvall treatment. You know what I mean? Like that one, in every crappy cop movie, there's the one old guy who gets killed like two days before he's supposed to retire. That was me. That, that was me in all of this.
1: Well, what one are you going uh, with? Are you going with I'm, the single the single shot or the two shot?
2: The two shot. Definitely the two shot. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I don't want to do this again. This sucked. This really sucked. I mean the mental the mental aspect of it was the hardest because when you're just left to your own devices. I mean, Chris, I think dark enough things most of the time. You, your mind goes to some interesting places when you're just walled off by yourself for ten days. Maybe, yeah. maybe most people are mentally healthy enough to to deal with that but uh
1: not not you i don't not know me I, I think it's
2: i think it's best for everybody that i'm not left alone for that long mm. god i didn't know rum could taste this good god and i gotta tell you before we get into tonight's show because we have a packed show for you i gotta tell you about this go long touchdown happy hour see one of the coolest things i got to do during covid quarantine was be a part of GoLongTD. You are know, Tyler Dunn and his GoLongTD.com. Every Friday he throws what he calls a happy hour. And he gets a random former player, current player, sports broadcaster, somebody on to crack a couple beers, sit on Zoom with us, and literally it's just a hang. There's not – I thought there was going to be some kind of a format or that it was going to be a little stiff and you'd have to raise your hand if you wanted to say things. And instead, you just sit around and shoot the shit with people who are either playing the game of football – or you support with Isaiah McKenzie. And it was amazing. I mean, for a, first, for a writer, I'm impressed with the job Tyler Dunn does. Players are comfortable being in that kind of a setting. I mean, I got to pick up some nuggets of information that you won't get anywhere else right now out there. I mean, first of all, McKenzie doesn't drink. People make fun of him because he spends more money on gourmet strawberry lemonade than his friends do at the liquor store which I found hysterical I mean I got a chance to ask him a question about barbecue turns out like me he believes that brisket is the elite barbecue dish he also answered questions about his time here and how he's managed his expectations and emotions through what the evolution of this team has become. I mean, maybe in one of the most critical pieces of information I took away, he confirmed that the team has already told him that he's going to be—he's pretty much right now the leader in the room for the kick return and punt return jobs. Now, Chris, does that surprise you, hearing that the players willing to publicly confirm that this early in the preseason? You know, the draft hasn't even happened.
1: You know, who else was it going to be, though? I mean, we lost Andre Roberts, so he's the natural selection for that position.
2: Uh, It's just interesting hearing that. He also talked about that uh, Mackenzie told us he's been blacklisted by the rest of the team. After that, you know, everyone who follows Bill's social media saw that, you know, the April Fool's FaceTime bit that he was doing with all of the coaches and the fellow players. He said, that's not a joke. They've actually blacklisted him. No one's answering his FaceTime anymore. They've all told him to go to hell. <laughs> if you're somebody out there who listens to these podcasts and love the insights we bring, or the player interviews that you hear on some shows and you like that kind of inside, inside information, then you're going to want to go subscribe and check this stuff out, guys. I, I can't stress this enough, and I'm not doing it because he's giving me a kickback. I'm doing it because I love the product, and I think that I love where it's going, so I, I want to make this a sustainable thing for him. Chris, he said next week it's going to be Richie Incognito. Should I ask him why he has this blocked on Twitter? I, not even why. Why did you block me on Twitter? I should ask, given you know the fact that you tried to cut a cadaver's head off, um, what is it that would lead you to block someone on social media? I'd be interested to hear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a loose cannon. And apparently, the Rockpal report on social media is just a bridge too far for that guy.
1: Yeah, if he's going to be on the uh, Zoom happy hour for uh, go long, and you're going to be there, you should ask him what his requirements are to get blocked on social media.
2: I still think my favorite is he told he he told us all as the group, as he was as Tyler Dunn was wrapping up the call, that he's getting Rob Johnson on in a few weeks, and I I told him I go you know. I'm not going to try to ruin your happy hour, but I'd like to, I'd like an answer to the question. Is it true you took sacks to try to protect your statistics like some of the local media have purported they've heard you say? And Tyler's reaction wasn't, no, 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 don't say that because, oh, oh, you know, I don't want to upset my guests. His thing was, I don't think you have the balls to ask that question.
1: <laughs> oh, you do. Guys, it's,
2: it's, it's a great time. If you're not subscribed already, go check it out, golongtd.com. I can't stress to you enough how awesome and just unique the content that he's putting out over there is. Uh, Easily one of the coolest things I got to do during my lockdown. Now, Chris, the reason we're here tonight, the 2021 NFL Draft Preview Series kickoff. We finally reached that magical time of the year on the NFL calendar draft season. A special time of the year when we all get together, we pour over and pine over the next wave of NFL talents looking to join the league. We argue about it. We take to social media. And, well, I don't because we all know I suck at this. <laughs> but you get to go on social media and just watch the acrimony and all of the all of the fun analysis that's taking place out there. And it's funny when you think about where our football team is. I mean, as a franchise, the Bills have spent so long treading water as just this middling NFL team that it seems like we've gone into – I feel like we have legitimately, even last year, we've gone into every draft for years with almost a sense of desperation. You have this visceral need to find the next star group of players that would help return your team to relevance or that was going to help change the fortunes of your franchise. So with that in mind, it kind of feels weird. Isn't it almost like there's no pressure, or at least I feel like there's not as much pressure heading into this draft as there was in years
1: past. Do you feel any of that, Chris? Um, no, because it seems like we have all of these pieces in place and you know, it's going to be talked about over the next month, but for me, I'm on team trade down.
2: <laughs> See, and that's what's so much fun about this is, you know, for years it was always, well, how can the bills get higher? Or, Hopefully they're they're drafting in the top ten. Hopefully TJ Hawkinson gets taken before Ed Oliver because we think he could be great. Now you're sitting here going, I don't even know if I need a first round draft pick. That's insanity. If you think about where we as Bills fans have existed for the last 20 years, I mean, we've got a borderline MVP level quarterback. Highly productive skill players and a a true star wide receiver already on the roster. Pro Bowl and highly paid linebackers. One of the NFL's better coverage units, led by their own collection of upper echelon athletes. This team is in every round that would alter our trajectory to a team that not only is the look of a winner today, but one that could be legitimately difficult for rookies to crack the roster depending on what position you drafted them at. I mean, Chris, do you have a drink?
1: I have water and Gatorade. (sighs) You and your
2: infection. I was going to say, if you left me hanging again, Chris, COVID or not, you you can't. I'm not doing a Bill's podcast, Silver. We're not doing that.
1: Well, you can drink. (sighs) I cannot.
2: What a time to be alive. And I wish I could sit here and tell you that we, Chris and I, know everything about the draft, but that would be a lie, akin to me congratulating him for having a ton of, like, game with women and killer dance moves. (laughs) Chris, I can't wait until Jess has to take you to a wedding. It's going to (laughs) be...
1: She got invited to a destination wedding in October.
2: Are you going to go? No. So you can show off your... your, uh, I'd like to describe Chris's dance style as... A drunk, less co- like less coordinated version of the robot. It's
1: better than the robot? What are you talking about?
2: <laughs> you look. You're just like you're a shade or two removed from Elaine Bennis dancing. That's that's where you are, Chris. It's hilarious. I can't wait. I can't wait for the woman of your dreams there to, to, to find this out. No, we we truly are the opposite of draft savants. If there ever was one, specifically me. I mean, I NFL draft talent analyzing the players so every week for the rest of this month we're going to be bringing you position by position breakdowns of the 2021 nfl draft class featuring some of the interweb's finest draft pundits analysts just some of the best talkers of draft football in the run-up to what will hopefully be a successful class that'll help lay the foundation of the bills for 2021 and beyond and tonight we're going to kick things off looking at the wide receiver and tight end positions And as we do every year, we start with a look at the current state of the roster. Because, Chris, this stuff changes. I think it's why I like this format that I've come up with. It's because between the end of the regular season last year, and then free agency happens, and now you're going into the draft, but your roster may be different. I mean, think about last year. Last year, we thought we knew what our depth chart was going to look like. And if we had just stuck with that in the run-up to the draft— You'd think, oh well, the Bills are going to draft. A- they have to be taking a wide receiver in the first round, and then they trade it for Stephon Diggs, and that changes the makeup of the roster. So sometimes it's interesting to take a look at the macro in terms of what's still on the roster. Right now, we have now allocated thirty-five point two million dollars in total cap, which is eighteen point six of our of our cap space, six percent, and we have six starters already in the fold, which I think is impressive. I don't know that the Have ever had that before. At the top, you've got Diggs, Beasley, Sanders, and Davis. Diggs, he gives you contested catches and spades, elite separation abilities, and can destroy zone coverage while still doing really well against man coverage. He's one of the game's elite talents at the position, something that our offense just took off under last year. Then you got Cole Beasley, one of the elite slot wide receiver options. He's one of the league's best at sniffing out the soft spots in zone coverage and then breaking away from his man enough to make himself available to the quarterback. The chemistry and the nuance to his route running—that chemistry that he has with Allen—I think it can't be undersold enough. He, I mean, there's a re, That's the reason that I think it's well. What is it, Chris? He's five. He's five. He's under five nine, and he holds the league record for most receiving yards by a wide receiver under that height.
1: Seems about right.
2: Then you got Emmanuel Sanders, the newly added Emmanuel Sanders, which in keeping with the theme of the two guys above him, a savvy route runner who, despite not having John Brown's overall speed, has just a ridiculous knack for breaking zone coverages. He understands how to get behind guys. He understands soft spots in that zone. His route running is sharp. He's still athletic, and he's a tough blocker. The three of them at the top of the depth chart, I think could arguably represent an upgrade from what we had in years past. And then Gabe Davis, one of the best seasons of any rookie wide receiver not named Justin Jefferson. Gabe Davis made plays early on in 2020 and never looked back. There was that ridiculous catch of his in the Miami game, week two, where they had to replay it five or six times because no one could believe he actually one-hands this ball and doesn't let it touch the ground. And then you can't let his total yardage fool you. When you play in an offense like this, a rookie wide receiver coming into the fourth option was never going to get a bulk of the yardage. But the fact that what in the playoffs, he really showed off his size advantage and seven total touchdowns over the course of the season. Chris, do you remember the last rookie wide receiver who came in here and produced anything close to what Gabe Davis gave us in 2020?
1: Absolutely not.
2: I can't think of it. I genuinely can't. I mean, I'm thinking about rookie wide
1: receivers who had good seasons. Lee Evans, Eric Moulds.
2: Eric, uh, okay, Eric Moulds. So his main – I mean, Lee Evans. Lee Evans was the number one wide receiver on the team. He, he didn't have a choice but to statistically be the best option. I mean, maybe – who was here with him
1: when he first came in? <laughs> um, <coughs> Peerless Price. <laughs> <laughs> I remember oh, him. God. That guy. He had one good year.
2: Oh, God. But either way, that's the top of our wide receiver depth chart. And that right there is already better than anything the New England Patriots or New York Jets have on their roster today, which I think is impressive. Behind them at tight end, you got Knox and Hollister. Knox is something of a sore subject for a lot of Bills fans. He has elite athleticism and the requisite size you want from your tight end one. I mean, he has one of the best uh, relative athletic scores of any tight end coming out in the last few years. Unfortunately, the reason he fell down to the third round was because he's athletically a fit for the tight end position. He had so little experience and polish being a tight end, catching, running routes, blocking on the move. And we've seen every bit of that rawness over the last two seasons. I mean, he's had some miscues. He's had drops. There's been times he just disappears from the offensive game plans because he's just he doesn't execute often enough. I mean, I think this is a make-or-break season for Knox. And you kind of get the sense, given all the trade talk and the fact that the Bills were in on Zach Ertz until the asking price was just deemed to be too high, that it's clear they're not sold on Knox as the future of our tight end position. I mean, he's going to have a lot to prove this year because I... I trust him more than any rookie coming out of the draft, I think. And if he can't illustrate that he can find continuity from one week to the next and one game to the next, we're going to have to add him to the list of Sean Nelsons and Michael Gaines as tight ends who just came and then like a fart in the breeze just disappeared. And then you got Jake Hollister. Hollister isn't here to be a tight end one. I don't care who says that he might be. He's essentially a more athletic replacement for Tyler Croft. Time is going to tell if that's a good thing. Cover one is a really solid breakdown of his skill set and what he brings to the table if you're interested in going and checking that out. I think he has utility, and I think he provides you some depth because right now, I mean, our tight end depth chart is terrifying. Behind those two guys, you got Sweeney and McKenzie. McKenzie, as we were talking about at the top of the show, primed for a big season as he returns, not only having proved he can be an effective piece of the offense with eight total touchdowns in 2020, but during that happy hour Zoom call, he acknowledged that he's going to be – he's going to get first crack at holding down those returner jobs. It's going to be interesting to see how this draft goes and whether or not they bring in any competition for him at those roles because ultimately the team has to hedge its bets as to whether or not he's going to stick around. I mean he's – he missed his crack. I mean, he, he said it during his show that he picked the worst season to have eight touchdowns. <laughs> I mean, he's making less than $2 million this season uh, being a wide receiver who scored eight touchdowns. That's rough. That's a rough haul for a guy who's been in the league for a number of years. And then when you look at the backup over there for uh, tight end, Tommy Sweeney, I think he might be the biggest relative unknown on this roster as of today. I mean, post-COVID diagnosis, they found he had developed a heart ailment. And he was sidelined for the, the the 2020 campaign. He might come back and provide depth, but it's I, I think it's equally possible he never plays a game of football again. And I'll tell you this, being on day 10 of COVID recovery, I don't know about heart prognosis or anything like that. I'll tell you this, I, I pushed my son, he's got this little scooter car thing. I pushed him to the end of the street and back earlier today, and I got to tell you, it took the wind right out of me now now obviously i'm not a high level athlete but i'll say this i, I like i used to be able to do push-ups 20 at a time 20 at a clip i could do 100 of them or cross five sets i could probably bust out those five sets in five minutes i really struggled to get more than 40 40 in like a, a 5 to 10 minute span. Like, it's, it's rough. This stuff really did and they, not everybody recovers the same way. So just assuming Tommy Sweeney is a lock to return to the Bills and be productive, it's just something I can't really put my faith in. And then behind them you have Hodgins, Kumaro, Williams, Gentry, and Becker. Hodgins, and, Hodgins is, uh, what, a draft pick from last year who, because of a shoulder injury, didn't get much playing time in camp and then ultimately didn't make the roster. Kumaro played a game and caught a touchdown. He's probably the most experienced and most productive member of our practice squad. Duke Williams is a guy that fans love, but ultimately we saw what Duke Williams looks like. Chris, how much do you want to see Duke Williams manning a significant role for our football team?
1: Uh I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm good on Duke Williams. We've uh, ac- we've people. accumulated enough talent over the last two seasons. We don't need him.
2: Well, and this is, I guess, what I think. I, I look at this and I think to myself, when you think back to what Duke Williams gave us when he did get his opportunities, it's not like the guy can't catch the football. It's not like he's a liability in run support. It's, it's not that he can't do the job of NFL wide receiver. He just doesn't do it well enough and i i was trying to explain this to my wife in terms of the buffalo sabers who are just at this point circling the drain trying to run at the clock on this season i tried to explain to her that guys there are players on this roster for the sabers who are good enough to play in the nhl but that you don't want them on your team if you think you're a playoff caliber team Duke Williams is one of those guys who, in a 2019 wide receiver core, where John Brown was your best option, Cole Beasley was the second, and you didn't really have much else beyond that. Duke Williams could be a member of that football team. If you're talking about being a Super Bowl-caliber team, well, then I hate to tell you this, but the Tanner Jantries, the Nate Backers, the Duke Williams, they don't have a place here. They're nice pieces to have for camp. They're, I'm sure, cheap— Insurance policies, they're not anyone I want to see suited up on game days, ever, if I think I'm a Super Bowl contender. They're nice to have around in case, but I don't ever want to see them on the field. And that brings us to our draft philosophy. If we had to set the table for this conversation we're about to have with one of our favorite guests and analysts – for the second time in two years, the Bills are going to be fielding one of the most dynamic wide receiver core in the AFC, and maybe even the, a- maybe even the NFL. They've got experience. They've got high-end playmaking talent. They've got ability to win contested catches. They've got ability to crucify zone coverage. They've got speed dynamics to threaten a defense both horizontally and vertically. It might be the best thing about the most complete part of our football team right now is the wide receiver room. When you look at our top five options at wide receiver, you have to be pleased at how even a short-term injury or two wouldn't completely render the position a problem. We're returning the NFL's leading wide receiver, one of the most elusive slot wide receivers in the game, a budding star in Gabe Davis, who's illustrated that his ability to win jump balls and beat up the middle of the field in ways wholly opposite of Cole Beasley. I mean, I think that's the thing that doesn't get enough press, is that him and Cole Beasley... Make defensive coordinators have to really earn their paychecks, because you've got one guy who runs super precise routes. He's so shifty. His size actually makes him hard for linebackers to cover. So now you have to have a DB on him. But then on the opposite side of him, when the Bills go four wide, which they did 15% of their all of their uh, passing plays last year, you've got a guy at six foot four, 200 and what, 220 pounds, who even your linebackers are going to struggle to box out. You almost have to try to put a DB on him, but who do you sacrifice? Where do you sacrifice size from your DB core to try to stop that guy? It makes them have to make decisions in the center of the field that they're not comfortable making. And I like that. And then they add another zone beater in Sanders on the other side to just kind of round out their aerial threats. You look at our backups, for as much as I don't like them seeing experience for us, they have have experience. Kumaro and Williams have both played in NFL games, and each have an NFL credit, uh, each have a touchdown credit from Josh Allen. They each have caught on Josh Allen touchdown pass, which I think is actually kind of cool. Those are your team's seventh and eighth wide receivers. They have size. They've got some savvy. And then you know Tanner Gentry, I think it's a story. I think it's something. Hey, look, I'm Josh Jones. I mean, he, he's like that guy. Chris, you you like movies. Adam Sandler films. Do you remember the guy who was yelling in anger management about the anger sharks swimming in his head? Yes. Okay. That actor, if you go to I. do you know what his name is? No. Can you Google it for me real quick? Yeah. Here's why. That actor, when you look at his IMDb. Every single film credit he has only exists because he's because he's in an Adam Sandler movie. It turns out they've been friends ever since they were kids, and Adam Sandler became his famous director and was like, "Hey, I'll get you enough credits that you can keep your SAG benefits. and <laughs> I'll throw you a bone. I'll get you some money here and there."
1: See, I'm only, I'm like only, I, I'm only going off like I need a picture of him, but. Mm-hmm. I think he played Nate in anger management. And his, I think his name is Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Loran, who's just. Yeah, that sounds he, right. He makes six figures for being friends with Adam Sandler.
2: Exactly. That's it. You literally have a job. Just because you were friends with a guy who happened to get famous—that's Tanner Gentry for the Buffalo Bills. That's the analogy that I'll be carrying forward with for the rest of the rest of the preseason. Is that he's only here? He's only earning paychecks because he's buddies with Josh Allen.
1: <laughs> well, That's it. Tanner, a- Tanner Gentry. It doesn't even sound like a football player. It's it <laughs> sounds like he's a touring guitarist for. Uh, Lady Antebellum or something like that. (laughs) Like Tanner Gentry just sounds like country guitar player for a famous country musician.
2: All of this is to say, guys, this will not be a year that the Buffalo Bills prioritize drafting a wide receiver. I'm calling that right now. But that doesn't mean that in the middle to late rounds there aren't places that we need to shore up if we're trying to lay the foundation for the future of the team. If that's something Brandon Bean truly is interested interest in. Isaiah McKenzie, has, well, he's here on a one-year deal. Emmanuel Sanders, only here on a one-year deal. Cole Beasley has one year remaining on his contract. All of those guys, I mean, Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders are both on the wrong side of 30. So either they're in the same club John Brown was in last year. And we saw how that ended. There exists a possibility that at the start of 2022, Davis and Diggs are the only two members of our current wide receiver core still on the roster. That's a problem when you consider the importance of chemistry at the wide receiver position. So we're going to quickly be in the market for wide receiver help. And if the team can get the right value, say a slot wide receiver who has utilities, a kicker, punt returner, or a guy who has the future upside of a number two who falls inexplicably. I think the Bills could make a move now to ensure that next offseason there isn't a scramble to try to replace one of those three. And when you look at our tight end depth chart, it should have some people holding their breath. We already have the shallowest tight end depth chart in the AFC East. And while Knox has been fairly durable, anything can happen. And the fact that right now, Tommy Sweeney, a guy who might not even play, and Nate Becker, who has never started an NFL game, are our only tight end two and tight end three options if Knox goes down. (sighs) How comfortable are you living in that world, Chris?
1: Hey, I've been a Bills fan for 36 years. And as far as I'm concerned, we really haven't had tight ends my whole fandom doesn't really bother me. No. We don't have tight ends.
2: No. But so a look at our current tight end situation both now and for the future is pretty bleak. And so with that in mind, that's a position that it does represent some need depending I mean I know like we talked with Matt Perino in our uh, our free agency show about how there's a lot of mouths to feed on this offense. So you can't really prioritize tight end. They weren't ever going to spend premium players but in the draft, if you could find yourself a Mark Andrews sack, that changes the entire look of your offensive attack. It gives you a whole, opens up whole new pages of your playbook. And it also keeps you from being where the Bills are, where you don't even know if you have a legitimate tight end one on the roster. It's a scary place, and it's going to be interesting to see how the Bills approach this upcoming draft. But that's why we bring in one of the best to chop it up with us as we discuss these positions. So tonight, our guest of honor to talk us through our first night of NFL Draft Prep podcasting, Mr. Mark Schofield. Some of you may know him from USA Today's Touchdown Wire. He also hosts the Sco Show over at patspulpit.com. He is a, rock, a Yacht Rock stan, and he is the Perry Cox to our JD and Turk. Mark, how are
3: you doing tonight? Oh, it's nice to see you, Drew and Chris. Looks like you guys got that extra Y chromosome uh-huh. coming your way for Christmas i had to do it I, I i had to prep a little something from dr cox i couldn't come up with creative names though i'm sorry uh, i'll i'll tell you it's it, close enough it re- i love
2: i love the fact that you know that's like this universal thread i think between most people is that at a base level we can all at least appreciate scrubs together
3: right yeah, yeah. It's it's been a unified force. Like, I have a couple of different things that I'm known for on the Twitter machine. Um, You know, Yacht Rock, like you mentioned, uh, Africa, Toto, uh, quarterbacks, uh, making fun of myself, and Scrubs, you know? And I think Scrubs has been... Like anytime I go on a show, like Scrubs comes up, whether it's like a hardcore NFL show like this one, a professional podcast, or like a low-level like fantasy football show, like Scrubs comes up. So it, it's it's like the <laughs> ultimate icebreaker for me. It's your brand. And My you know brand. what? There's nothing wrong with that. There's, There's nothing wrong with that. I tell kids all the time that are trying to get into this business, I'm like, look, you got to carve out your brand if it's something like Scrubs. Then do it Now you can't have Scrubs Because that's mine But like Peaky Blinders is available um, You know I guess You know What's that show that the, the one that the guy just left I don't know My wife watches it It's like You know English porn or whatever I don't know But you know Bridgerton That's it That's it Yeah where There was Bridgerton and Gifts Whatever You gotta carve out Your brand And live by it And that's what I do See, ours is just boozing and being petty, which I think but we do at a really it, high level. You guys do it exceedingly well.
2: Exceedingly well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that, Mark. So tonight we're here to talk about the upcoming wide receiver and tight end draft classes. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, at the top of the show, we were listening to highlights about Kadarius Tony. Who's a, a guy that's on the on the lips his name's on the lips of a lot of bills fans the bills are one of those teams that right now, at first glance, when you look at their wide receiver depth chart you know I, I think of teams the bills don't need a lot of help Meanwhile, like I look at teams like the Patriots, who are almost the polar opposite where there isn't a whole lot in the way of high end talent on the patriots depth chart anymore so you're a team that's almost the inverse of where we stand and so with that in mind i figure this is probably something you guys have looked into substantially as most drafts come up as happens to be the way your depth chart lays out so if we start with the wide receiver and tight end classes if we want to talk about the makeup Are they more top-heavy, in your opinion, in terms of, hey, there's some really bold options at the top and things kind of thin out in the later rounds? Or do you think that value gets evenly dispersed
3: throughout this draft class? I think it's different between the two positions. I think wide receiver, like there will be guys drafted on day two, on day three, that will be immediate contributors in the NFL that might go on to fantastic NFL careers. So I think wide receiver is pretty evenly distributed, like... You know, there's even speculation whether you like Jamar Chase, at wide receiver one, Devonta Smith, Rashad Bateman, Jalen Waddell. Like, you know, opinions vary there. But then you go on down, guys like Kadarius Toney, guys like, you know, DME Brown or Elijah Moore, guys that are ex- extremely talented wide receivers that might be immediate contributors. They might slide to the 20s, to the 30s even. And so I, I think wide receivers evenly distributed. Tight end is not. The tight end is literally it's Kyle Pitts, maybe Pat Fryermuth, maybe Hunter Law and Tommy Tremble, but it's a lot of dart throws, and the dart throws come quickly on this board. Um, I know there's a guy we're to talk about Brevin Jordan from Miami, um, who's also an intriguing option, but tight end is such a tough position to immediately contribute at as a rookie. Like, it's tough to learn. I think Frymuth is in a pretty good position because he's done some of your standard prototypical tight end stuff. I think Pitts is a unicorn. He's just an, you know, he's my wide receiver five. Like, Kyle Pitts is that good. (laughs) He's that player. Um, But, you know, I don't think Kyle Pitts is going to be available when you guys are on the clock. So... Um, it's just a very top-heavy tight end class. It's a lot more evenly distributed throughout the wide receiver position.
1: Of course, of course, uh, Kyle Pitts course. is not going to be available because Detroit picks before us.
3: No. Detroit's <laughs> going to pick at 7. Or Philly's going to do it at 12. So th- there's no way. Detroit
2: and first-round wide receivers is will forever be one of the funniest NFL draft jokes to me ever. Like yeah. There's something... About the fact that for some reason there's something in the water because it's been multiple GMs have thought that somehow taking a tight end in the first round and usually in the top half of the draft is a good idea, and it has never been out. And you'd think other people would learn watching them make that mistake, and no one does. It, it's one of those things that I love about the NFL draft. You watch GMs trick themselves, like talk themselves into bad choices. I don't understand it. 13 wide receivers. An NFL record got drafted in the top 60 uh, last year in 2020. Do you see this class coming close to
3: replicating that? I think so. I think so. I mean, I over at Touchdown Wire uh, USA Today, we were doing our top 11 at each position, but I had to do 14 wide receivers because I'm like, look, the, the, there are – you know, 14 guys that I, I have to write about. Now, of course, one of them is Kyle Pitts, but I do think that if you take Kyle Pitts out of it, there's 13 right there, 13 guys that I would feel comfortable with picking in the top two rounds of this draft. And so I, I think it's a tremendously talented group. You know, I think even if you get down to the bottom half of that list, bottom couple of names Nico Collins from Michigan, Amon Ross St. Brown from USC, um, Amari Rogers from Clemson. I mean, these are guys that I think you could carve out a role for them. They could be immediate contributors in the National Football League. I mean, yeah, I I think we're going to get close to that, if not exceed that 13 number in this year's draft. That's how good this class is. So because you're a
2: quarterback guy, because as we kind of start digging into different prospects and different storylines that are actually going to impact the draft and how the Bills play a role in that, you're a quarterback guy, and I know that you pay attention to that stuff, even if you are talking about skill position players. What do you think the impact of this year's quarterback class uh, that are slated to be drafted this year could have on skill positions at the top of this draft?
3: Well, let's look at it this way, right? We know Jacksonville's QB at one. We know Jets' QB at two. We know now 49ers' QB at three, whether it's Matt Jones or whoever. It's a quarterback at three. Now we're hearing Atlanta might trade out because they're getting a lot of calls for teams wanting to come up and get whoever QB four is going to be in this draft. If we go quarterback, 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 four quarterbacks out of the gate, and obviously I, I'd expect an offensive lineman to since he had five, although there's been some discussion about Jamar Chase. But say it is an <laughs> offensive lineman – Four quarterbacks and an offensive lineman in the top five, you're getting your first skill position player at six. You're getting skill position players pushed down this board in a big way. And the other sort of unwritten thing that's not being talked about a ton in this draft, defense is a bit thin. Defense is a bit thin in this draft, whether it's edge, whether it's linebacker, corner, safety, you might see teams reach for positions on the defensive side of the ball because they're worried about it like thinning out earlier. And so they're not going to wait. They think we might wait on wide receiver because we can get somebody a bit later. We'll draft our defensive tackle one right now just because we're worried about this class thinning out. So you might see as a result of both the quarterbacks getting pushed up the boards and teams reaching early on defense if they have a glaring need, like say the Giants at 11, they want to address edge. Maybe they do it at 11 because – you know, they don't want to wait. around. They might not like what's available. So you might see offensive skill position players really get pushed down this board. And so between that and the depth of this wide receiver group, if you're a team looking for, say, wide receiver two or wide receiver three or a luxury pick, a wide receiver, or even a running back, you might be in a great spot come your pick. See, I like hearing that. I like hearing that because –
2: I mean, I, I guess it's interesting if you're in the camp, like we talked about earlier, where you want to see this team lay the foundation for the future. Because right now, our wide receiver core is talented, but it's old. I mean, you've you got uh, the Beasley and Stocks You don't want to go into an offseason at the end of this scrambling to figure out who your wide receivers for 2022 are going to be. So I think that that's an interesting dynamic to watch play out. Now, here's a storyline that's bugged me. As a guy who has watched uh, this entire collegiate season of college football, and I watched Devonta Smith go out there and win—you know—he he wins uh, what? The, obviously the Bolitnikov. Did he win? Wins the Heisman. His, wins the Heisman. Yep. Yeah. And he has a hell of a national title game. The last game anybody's gonna ever watch him play. In one half of football, he scored – I think he, he almost scored as many points as Ohio State did. That's it. He put on a show. And now Jamar
3: Chase is wide receiver one. How the hell does that happen? Well, I think – let me preface it by saying this. Jamar Chase is one. Waddle is two. Smith is three on my <laughs> That's how I've got these guys. Yeah. Oh. Now – I need an the, explanation. There. Yeah. The explanation is this. Chase, to me, is a guy that can come in and can can play the X receiver spot because of his play strength and his ability to be press coverage. I think Smith and Waddle are both extremely talented receivers. You can tell me you grade those guys one, two, three, whatever. I like Jamar Chase from a play strength profile, from a beat the press profile. I think he has the ability to come into the NFL, beat press coverage on the outside, where you don't have the luxury of that two-way go from an inside alignment or the slot. So that's why I have Chase where he is. I think the fall of Smith is because he is going to be an outlier if he hits, because of his size and his frame. You know, people are looking at 6'1", 175. The track record of 6'1", 175 receivers in the NFL is not – a good one. Now, I think he plays bigger than 6'1", 175. I think he plays tougher than 6'1", 175. I think he's a lot stronger than people give him credit for, but that outlier number is going to have teams saying, look, I don't know if I can go there and pick three in the draft, pick four in the draft. I, I'm going to take a, a safer guy. I think I, I think it's wrong. I think he's a very good wide receiver. I'd have no problem picking him early in the draft. i just have those other guys graded higher. That's... It's a tough pill to swallow, but I'll accept it because that makes
2: some sense. I just, it's frustrating to hear those things. I mean, the only reason that I'm listening to you, the things you're saying and I'm taking it as, and I'm taking it with <laughs> under advisement is because I remember uh, James Hardy. James Hardy, the yep. vaunted second round draft pick of the Buffalo Bills, who had amazing collegiate production. Amazing production. He had size, he had speed. When you looked at the build of his frame, he was a he was six five, but he was only like two hundred and ten pounds. Yeah. And what happened was teams figured out right out of the gate: if we jam this guy at the line of scrimmage, he has no power in his lower body to recover. And that became the game plan, and he
3: disappeared. <laughs> he yeah, disappeared. I, mean, I, I think i think smith is a stronger player than six one one seventy five sounds to you on sort of when you hear it you think really like weak guy that's going to get ridden out of the field to play into the sideline every time he faces press coverage i i don't i don't think that's going to happen all the time but i think it is a concern and when you start thinking about you know we're picking seven eight nine in the draft we're the detroit lions at seven we want to go receiver we're the you know the Dolphins at six. We want to go receiver, and you've got Chase, you've got Waddle, you've got Smith, Chase and Waddle. You don't have as much of a fear there, particularly with Chase because he's just a, a strong dude. Like watch that. You saw that twenty nineteen game having Trayvon Diggs. That was an absolute wall. Yeah, I mean, that was that was Rocky Ford, Drago Balbola in the middle of the ring. Those, guys, those <laughs> guys were throwing haymakers, but Chase got the better of Diggs, who was a second round corner known for his press coverage chops, and so. I think teams are going to look at that, like, say, again, the Dolphins at six and think it's just safer. I mean, you've got a, – it's a more – like, there's the, the more solid floor to that pick than, say, Smith, which if he hits, he's going to be an outlier. Now, I think he could still hit, but we know risk-averse general managers in the top ten, they sometimes reach for that nice, comfortable blanket rather than the shiny ceiling. That's that's fair. So
2: then, Kyle – Pitts. You know, I had a question keyed up for you about the tight end group, but it sounds to me like this tight end group is pretty much headlined by this Pitts character. Yep. I I saw him play. It's impressive, the things that you can do with that guy on a football field. But I guess I have a hard time, and I'm one of those people who I just I look at results, and what I see is that every tight end drafted in the first round, I mean, Noah Fant's been okay, right? Noah Fant has done pretty well for himself. But if you go back over the last decade and you look at first-round tight ends, and compared to the tight ends in third rounds, you'd argue you get better production if you and value if you wait and just take some of these other guys. So when you hear all this buzz about a Kyle Pitt, it's hard not for me to revert back to that in my head and go, this is just overblown. People saw a lot of statistics from a receiver who's slow to play outside he's got size he's got this but he's not going to be a traditional tight end which means you have to you, you have to
1: have
2: a creative offensive coordinator really unlock his potential i'm scared try to sell him to me since you seem to be a huge fan
3: how would you do it yeah and the way you sell kyle pitts is this He's a wide receiver that he could use as a tight end. Like he's 6'6", 245, runs a 4'4". Like that's a wide receiver's frame. You watch him against, say, South Carolina. They put him at the X. He's right at the back shoulder against J.C. Horn, who might get drafted as early as nine in this draft. And he's just beating them up. You know, because he could use his size and his frame. You watch him against Kelvin Joseph, who's a corner that's probably going to go maybe as early as day two. A Kentucky kid runs it an out and up and runs right by him. Like he could beat corners with size, with strength, and with speed. So you could put him on the outside. You can line him up on the inside. Now look. You're an absolute jackhole of an offensive coordinator if you have this kid pass block more than a couple of times a game, but he could do it and he got better at it from 2019 to 2020. And so you could use him all over the field. You could use him as that matchup piece where if you've got a tight end to pair with him, great. I think an ideal situation would be a team like, say, Philadelphia. Now they're at 12, but. You know, if you've already got a tight end, you could use him as that second tight end slash wide receiver slash X receiver, whatever you want to call it. But he's the matchup player that offensive coordinators covet that you can just put out there. He could run, you know, routes against linebackers, against safeties, against corners and win those matchups. And in a matchup based league, you know, Kyle Pitts is the ultimate type of trump card for an offense. Putting yourself in the foot, if it turns out he's actually
2: sort of mediocre.
3: Because I, I just feel
2: like tight ends that hire such a game. Yeah,
3: I mean, if if he was just a tight end, if he was like Noah Fant, TJ Hawkins, and guys that are really just like line up next to the tackle and play tight end, yeah. But there wouldn't be this buzz about him, though. This this is a different beast. This is, again, a guy that I graded as my wide receiver five. Some other outlets of him like as high as wide receiver one. Like if you just That's look true. at it as a wide receiver – he could be better than Chase. He could be better than Waddle. He could be better than Smith because he's 6'6, 245, but still runs a 4'4 and has the wind span of a 737 max, and he's not going to crash into the ocean on half a takeoff. And so, this is the kind of that's, athlete that's, and that's specimen right. we're talking about. So, I, I think that's what he could do. Like, that's what he offers in an NFL franchise. Ah, so, as we pick to the Bills,
2: and specific questions that are specific to our team. The Bills currently have one of the deepest wide receiver groups in the, like, well, like kind of we talked about, there's future vacancies coming up that are going to need to be addressed. I mean, there's three prominent players that could leave us without an experienced punter kick returner option. Uh, we could be looking for an outside receiver. We could be looking for another experienced or at least dynamic slot option that could have us heading out into free agency at the end of the year trying to just prove that Bean can pan for gold and keep hitting, which I think is unrealistic. I think eventually you do have to lay some foundation for a future at the position because, as we articulated earlier, there's no one else on this depth chart I want to be suited up for us on a week-to-week basis. Nobody on our practice squad right now who I think deserves a look as when you're talking about motion wide receiver, punt returner, kicker,
3: those prospects, who do you like most in this draft? I think, look, you've got the big four wide receivers, three of which you talked about. And I put Rashad Bateman there. Then you look Kyle Pitts, wide receiver five. That next group for me, Kadarius Toney, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore. Like those three right there are the three sort of move slot motion receivers Mm -hmm. that I like the most in this draft. I think all three. Are special kinds of players, you know. Tony's a human joystick. I know you want to talk about him a little bit later, but you know he's a guy that can change direction on a dime. Doesn't run a complete route tree, but who cares? Because he can just shake anybody. You see him running juke well, no, routes, let's, let's, routes. Let's get into it because Bills fans. That's the thing. I, I'm on Twitter
2: and I see that somebody, people are changing their Twitter handle names to Kedar, uh, Kedarius Tony Stan account. Like that's that's happening here within our fan base. So I want to know everything i can about this guy because i'm not going to pretend that i watched a lot of florida football except for when alabama just
3: stomped a mud hole in him after the bills clinched the afc east that was great. yeah i mean he look he could change direction on a dive. florida used him all over the field as well i think one of his better plays was a play where he lined up a running back and you saw his change of direction skills his vision as a ball carrier his contact balance to you know not Bounce off of defenders and not go down. You know, Pro Football Focus and their draft guy—they compared him to a bigger Dante Hall, who was the human joystick after all. Like this, this is a tremendous talented receiver. I mentioned that he didn't run a complete route tree in Florida. You then watch his Senior Bowl tape, and he's given you every single route you want to see from a wide receiver. He's running them well. He's a head-to-toe route runner. A guy that you can find film of him both at the Senior Bowl and in Florida you know, giving you the look, the glances over the one shoulder or the other to sell the defender on the cut to one side of the field Then he breaks away from you. He has great feel for those moments. Like, there are times, like, I think he's not a refined player. Like, I think he could clean up his routes. He could get a little bit better at route running. He could get a little bit better with the consistency on his hand placement on catches. But I think, look, if you're talking about a guy that could be you know, a gadget type wide receiver than a potential Cole Beasley pl- replacement. I think he's a tremendous option. Same Elijah Moore. I mean, Elijah Moore and Cole Beasley are like, the, that's the comp. Like he's a more Elijah Moore is like a more athletic Cole Beasley. And I loved Cole Beasley dated back to his Dallas days. I thought he was a guy that always got open. Moore has had a tremendous pre-draft process, you know, tremendous pro day with his 40, with his, you know, three cone and all that stuff, you know, He's another player that you see how Lane Kiffin used him, you know, X receiver one place, slot the next, Z receiver the next, you know, lining up a running back and taking handoffs and running outside zone and showing you again that vision, that footwork like we talked about with Tony. Elijah Moore is a fantastic prospect. The concern with him, I think, is it's really just one year, you know, and it's Lane Kiffin unlocking what he could be are you going to have a creative offensive mind offensive coordinator that will do that I think look Brian Dable could do that so I I would have no reservations about Elijah Moore if he were to find his way to Buffalo I, I think if he goes to a different organization where you don't have that creativity on the offensive side of the ball it might be a bit more of a struggle but both of those guys I think would be great Rondale Moore Look, just turn on his game from 2018 against Ohio State where he just, you know, single-handedly beat Ohio State for Purdue. I mean, he's, you know, a slot receiver, but he can also use him a running back. You can use him all over the place. Um, very tough player, built like a running back, but has the athleticism of a slot receiver. Um injuries are a concern. He's missed a lot of time in the past two years, and you wonder if his style of play more run through you and around you is starting to take a toll, so that's might be why Rondale Moore falls in this draft. But all three of these guys I like a lot is sort of that slot receiver role early in this draft. Okay. <clears throat> now, th- switching gears,
2: because Gabe Davis was one of the biggest surprises for Bills fans. I mean, I was kind of I was I was bearish on him just on the he's a rookie wide receiver. The acclimation process for rookie wide receivers is usually pretty steep. Instead, he finished with over 500 yards and 7 touchdowns, which is I think incredible production for a 4th round draft pick, especially one taken in the later portion of the 4th round you're looking at guys like that big physical receivers who you can you know, we play him sometimes in the slot but he could also line up outside in the boundary when you look at what mid-round talents do you think could have value akin to that fourth round fifth round draft pick who could come in in a system like ours a vertical passing attack and give you some utility that way
3: you know, I think there are a couple of options. I think Anthony Schwartz, the the kid from Auburn, has that potential. You look at some of what he's done on film over the past couple of years, um, some of what he's already done on his, on his pro day. You know he's got speed. You know, he's tested well. I think he's got the ability to sort of beat you over the top. Um, you know, needs to sort of get better at how he runs routes, how he feels coverages, how he feels the leverage of the nearest defender. But he's, look, former track guy. um, one of the fastest dudes in this class, one of the most athletic dudes in this class. He might be there even as late as they, the sixth round, um, but he's somebody to watch a guy that I think people are looking at as a UDFA type, but I think given the way he's tested, he's probably going to go a lot earlier than that. Josh, in Bebe, the, the Illinois kid, um, started his career at usc finished it up in illinois was used as more of an ex receiver i think he had like a 46 and a half inch vertical at in his pro day just a tremendous athlete can jump out of the gym one of those guys that you throw it up he's going to go get it certainly things haven't quite come together for him uh, but i do think he's a receiver that is going to slip but there's talent there to work with and if you're like the Bills, a team that has an established receiver room, but you can make the luxury pick of a guy that many people will think will go undrafted in, say, the fifth of the sixth round, and just bet on that athleticism, he's a player to watch. So now, switching gears to the tight end position. Now, the Bills' tight end room,
2: it, it's 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 almost the polar opposite of where the New England Patriots are today. I mean, the Dawson Knox experiment's running out of time. We don't have any proven depth options on hand. Now, yourself being a fan of a team that has drafted multiple tight ends, swing for the fences in free agency when those draft picks didn't pan out. Do you believe that there's options outside of that first wave here that you could over time develop into a potentially starting tight end? Or do you think it's actually smarter to go play the UFA
3: game with tight ends? <laughs> yeah, I mean I, based on what you think is gonna pan out better. You know, I, I think generally speaking, and I'm not saying this guy's as a Patriots fan because my team just spent, you know, the gross national product of Liechtenstein on tight ends in free agency. <laughs> um, but I do think because of the way the tight end position is handled in the college game versus the pro game, it's it's tough for these guys to contribute early. And so I do think that, look, if you're a team that's built to compete or at least thinks you're built to compete, perhaps in the Patriots case, it makes more sense to sort of chase down the undrafted free agent types at the tight end position because it takes a while to get those guys up to speed and you might not have that luxury of waiting. Now, that being said, look, I, you know, I joked about this class a little bit, but there are some guys that intrigue me in sort of that late day to day three kind of range. I mean, one name I'll give you. Uh, Tony Poljan from Virginia started his career at Central Michigan as a quarterback, then moved to tight end. But from what I've seen, particularly this last year at Virginia, you know, he can give you your typical standard in line next to the tackle, tight end type stuff. Great blocker in the blocking game, both in pass protection and in the run game. You know, I think he's a good red zone weapon with a lot of these tight ends, guys. I found myself writing down in my notes when i was watching them is there more potential here that they just didn't tap into you know a guy like another example of that is tommy tremble the notre dame kid who was basically their like third tight end slash a fullback but he was always open when he ran routes and it's like these quarterbacks just aren't looking the tight ends way unless it's pat Booth from penn state who is good or kyle pitts they're just not looking at these guys these guys are just used as blockings dummies and decoys, rather than focal points of the passing game. And so I think with Paul John, you know, with Tommy Tremble, these are guys who will be available on day two, that I think there's some untapped potential in the passing game that teams could unlock at the next level. And with both of those guys, and this is often a question with tight ends, can they handle the blocking part of it? Both of those guys handle that. They've got it down. Like, Tremble is one of the best blockers of this position this, in this class. Pauzion's not bad himself. They've got the harder part figured out. It's then can you get them as to become options in the passing game. And for a team like the Bills that has the receivers you do, you know, a guy that can block and then get open into the flat, that's not too, That's not a nice little luxury to have. And so I think those guys would make some sense for Buffalo if they want to dip into the. See, Schofield, this is what I love about you. You <laughs>
2: – see, every year for every position group, I have this list of P- – I call it Players Drew Likes nah, likes or Wants to Know More About. And just through the course of casual conversation, you just manage to hit on these things. And I know that you really don't look at the stuff we send you anyway. <laughs> You're a professional. You don't need a whole lot of right. <laughs> But there is one. Now, Brevin Jordan, we talked about it. The comp that I've heard for Brevin Jordan is Charles Clay, which scares the shit out of me. I don't like the fact that people are like, oh, no, he's this great but tight end who can make plays out in the open field, and he can be a safety valve and do all these things. And his ceiling is a guy that I spent his final season here just cussing out. I Chris, at one point, thought I was just going to have a stroke because you watched him just he's not athletic enough or tall enough to make plays over linebackers. It's essentially, if he doesn't find a space in zone, he's not all that useful. I mean, would you say that that's fair to say of Brevin Jordan?
3: I think it is fair to say, um, I, I look, with Brevin Jordan, he was a guy that I really thought I was going to like a lot more. And I did like a lot more on film. And then you see the pro day numbers, the test of numbers, and you start to wonder what you missed because he looked more athletic on tape. You know, I, I, He's one of those move-type tight ends where you get into the question of what's his NFL usage going to be? Is it going to mirror how Miami used him, where he's lined up in the slot, where he's lined up as an X, where he's in stack slots, where they're throwing bubble screens to him? Like, if you're Brian Dable and you're throwing bubble screens to Brevin Jordan over Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs, like, you need to reevaluate some things. Like, that, that's not how Brevin Jordan is going to be used in the NFL. And so... It, then you start to project him to a more traditional tight end role, and you wonder, like, can he have the kind of success he had at Miami? Um, it's a huge question mark. I, I know a lot of people are higher on him. You know, I've got him as tight end three, and maybe that says more about this class than anything else. I, I think there's ways it can work. I'm just not so sure Buffalo is the best spot for it. And then there's one name on my list that you didn't talk about at all tonight
2: that – I just, just from what I've taken in, in this pre-draft process, I'm interested in. A kid by the name of Marquez Stevens, wide receiver out of Houston, touted as maybe the fastest wide receiver in the draft in terms of play speed. Not just 40, not 40 time, play speed. What's what's your opinion on him? And I mean, what do you view him as at the NFL level?
3: I mean, I, I think <sighs> he's kind of that pure burner type that has one thing that he does and he does it extremely well, which is run fast. Like he doesn't do a lot in terms of selling routes because he doesn't need to. He can just run by you. And that works at Houston. And that worked at times at the senior bowl, but does it work on Sundays? And then that's a huge question mark. Is their value to a guy that could certainly get deep and get over the top of the coverage. Perhaps, um, is it worthy of, say, a day two pick? I don't think so. I think he's more a late day three kind of guy. Um, but he's somebody that can get over the top of the defense, that can stress defenses downfield, that is going to put the fear of God in some safeties. Not all, but some. And that might be worth something, a late flyer on sort of day three. And again, talking about it from the Bills perspective, where you have the luxury of not needing to force a receiver into a massive role as a rookie, right? You know, mm-hmm. you're like you set it up, True. It's a situation where you can sort of look to the future as opposed to sort of saying, What do we need right now? We need an immediate contributor receiver. You don't need that. And so you have the luxury of taking a flyer at a guy like Stevenson and saying, Look, speed like this works no matter what. You know, NFL, college, doesn't matter the level, speed like this kills. And so we could fill in some of the stuff around him, give him a limited package of routes, plays, concepts. Like, look, you're going to run five routes for us a game, three posts and two goes. Like, you'll do that. You might see the ball, you might not, but we'll start to fill in the rest of the stuff as we go. Um, That could work for the Bills. And so if you start thinking about late, late flyers on day three, he's certainly somebody that could work for Buffalo.
2: Is he a guy that you see being a replacement for one of it? Maybe an because I'm just thinking about how our offense is currently constructed and what our needs are. We're gonna have a need both at outside wide receiver, and unless Gabe Davis shows he can use his size and really go out there, and he's at his most valuable when he's outside, versus right now he's at his most when he's on linebackers. So if- is Stevenson one of these guys who you think would be would more replacing, like, a uh, John Brown
3: type on the outside? Or is he moving inside, replacing somebody like an Indiana McKenzie? I mean, I think he's more a John Brown replacement out of the gate. I don't think he has the sort of change of direction skills, the route running skills that will uh, would enable him to be his contributor on the inside, where, you know, you need those things more. I think right now he's a John Brown outside replacement to beat people on the outside. And maybe you can get him to a point if he starts refining that route running where, yeah, he, he can fill in some of the stuff and kick inside a bit and be more of a versatile receiver. I think earlier in his career, though, it's more John Brown than anything else. All right. Well,
2: as we wrap this conversation, sir, because you've been so gracious with your time, uh, your favorite sleepers and value picks out of this wide receiver and tight
3: end group. I mean, I I do – I think Tony Poljan is a guy that at the tight end spot is going to be available m- midday on Saturday of the draft. And I, I do like what he offers. I, I think that there's a good tight end inside of him. And he's somebody that, look, obviously the Patriots aren't going to be touching tight end. If they do, I'd be stunned. Um, but if a team's looking to address tight end on day three, I really like him. As far as receivers, I don't know how you sort of term value um, – you know, I look at sort of the way I have these guys stacked. Amon Ross St. Brown and Amari Rogers, the USC kid, the Clemson kid. I love both of those players. I think they're probably day toothpicks, but I think they're immediate contributors to the next level. with What they do on the inside as slot receivers, the way they play the game, the way they attack the game. I'm a huge fan of both of those players. You know, I don't think Dwayne Eskridge slides, but if he does, Hitches shouldn't be home runs. Um, but he turns hitches into home runs with his pure speed, his change of direction skills. He's a fantastic talent. As we get deeper into this class, though, a kid that I love is Kay Johnson, the slot receiver from South Dakota, um, South Dakota State. Fantastic player for the Jackrabbits. Loved what he did at the Senior Bowl. He's He's a pure slot guy. Uh, but similar to say James Prochet from SMU from last year's Senior Bowl I think he's somebody that gets his name called I think he's an immediate starter at slot for most teams and he's somebody that's going to be there in say the fourth fifth or sixth round you know I know Bills probably don't need a slot right away but if you miss out on some of the earlier guys Kay Johnson is a name to watch man what do you think the Patriots are going to do what's the Patriots plan here in the first round Um, it's funny, Drew, I recorded my show for Monday and, you know, mock draft Monday. And I, I went through the board and I said, look, prepare ourselves for a trade down, you know, because it's looking like five quarterbacks will be off the board. There won't be a chance to go get one. So many teams need one. They're going to probably trade down because they'll look at the board at 15 and think we don't like the value. We'll slide back a bit, maybe pick up an extra pick early in the third round or something because they have that gap. 46 to 96 that they could fill in so I was preparing everybody for a trade down and then there's a glimmer of hope a lifeboat from the New York Jets because now with the Sam Darnold trade Carolina doesn't have to go quarterback at eight and there's an opportunity for New England to perhaps get to eight maybe for a quarterback whether it's Fields or Lance if they indeed are if we indeed see Mac Jones at three overall they might be able to go get one of those guys so there's that slimmer of hope now Drew um, it's still small, but maybe they get one of those two guys. Well, I, I I've
2: just been thinking about it all day in the run up to this conversation because I haven't had shit else to do. But also <laughs> because I saw this I saw this meme that made me laugh really hard because it was about Schefter's tweet saying that the Atlanta Falcons are taking trade calls for that number four overall pick, and it was just Bill Belichick coming down the tunnel, but with a WWF logo at the bottom and Stone Cold. Yeah, yeah. The that is like, wait a minute, that's Bill yeah. Belichick's music. What, what? If the Patriots were to trade up for a quarterback, who out of that group do you think or want, or would you want it to be? I mean, well, which one of them? Because obviously, it's not going to be one of the top two.
3: No, I it's mean, it's not it going to be. Yeah, I would I'm imagine sure it Zach, would be Zach Wilson's for, pretty much a Jedi. Yeah, I would imagine it would be for Fields or. Or, or Trey Lance, because um, it does look as much as it blows my mind, it does seem like Mac Jones at three is almost set in stone. And so, you, your hope is that Fields or Lance is available and you go get them. And I would be happy with either one. I mean, I think Fields and Lance are both incredible talents. They're athletes, they're, you know, they're athletic quarterbacks. They're not just athletes playing the quarterback position. I think they throw well on the move. And so, yeah, I. If they could go up and get either one of those guys, I'd be overjoyed with it. Do, you, do, do real quick? Cause I, you just keep it
2: opening more doors. This is what, really? this is why you're, you're great at what you do. You foster conversation. Is this stuff about fields overboard Absolutely. It, Absolutely. Is
3: A hundred percent. The, 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 okay. Yeah, nah. because, look, um, We've gone through two narrative cycles now on Justin Fields. First, it was that he doesn't go through progression, sort of the tried and true method of, you know, knocking some quarterbacks as opposed to others. And, you know, people, myself, Ben Solak, Seth Galia, Nate Tice, we've all walked people through the Ohio State playbook and said, no, he can go through progressions. This is an example of him doing it. Here's another example. Here's another example. So that got beat down a bit. And then it was this latest one that he doesn't love the game, that, you know, he's the last guy in, first one out. And look, it's lion season. I have people (laughs) in my DMs telling me stuff all the time. I will tell you I've heard nothing but great things about Justin Fields from an off-the-field character standpoint. Nothing but great things. At the same time, I don't need to hear anything, you know, I I still take that good stuff with a grain of salt because all I have to do is turn on the game against Clemson, see him get his ribs obliterated, get back on the field and throw a touchdown. That's a kid that loves this game. I see a kid that when it looked like the Big Ten was going to shut it down because of COVID, he was one of the ones that was saying, no, 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 let us play. Like a kid that was at this time last year solidified as pick two, quarterback two or 1B right behind Trevor Lawrence isn't going to just – you know shut it down because he loves the game no this kid loves the game like i don't need to be told anything i don't need to hear anything i don't need people texting me or in my dms this kid loves the game of football and i, I see a kid that's out there at the qb collective put it in the work of the offseason so you know we all get told stuff most of the stuff i ignore i don't need to be told whether justin fields loves this game or not it's clear that he does See, guys, and this is why you need to be following Mark's work over a Touchdown Wire. What do you have coming up in the next couple weeks? I mean, it is draft season. It is draft season, my friend, so we've... We are getting through our top 11 or, in my case, a wide receiver 14 on the offensive side of the ball. Doug has to do interior offensive line. That's what's left on offense. Then we're going to kick it to defense. I'm doing top 11 edges, linebackers, and corners. Doug has interior defensive line and safeties. Um, And then we're going to get into top 50 and all that fun stuff. But Follow the work of the Bird App at Mark Schofield. TouchdownWire.usaToday.com is the HTML, the HTTP, the URL, as they say. Um, but yeah, on Twitter at Mark Schofield.
1: <laughs> Mark Schofield on Twitter at Mark Schofield.
3: Chris, you sound a little exasperated. There, is everything all right?
1: Yeah, well, I don't. I can't open my goddamn mouth. So,
2: <laughs> not gonna lie doing this podcast has been so much fun because i get to watch you like there's been a couple times folks for you listening at home where chris is like almost over- acted like he had something to say and he went to talk and i just see him wince in pain and he just sits back it's almost like almost like speaking on this show is he he has an idea and he's like no i don't like that idea enough to commit to to commit to giving the pain and energy it would take to talk chris how did our podcast become the most beat up bills podcast
1: Covid and these, Covid. That's what it is. Covid.
2: Ah, folks. Huge thank you to Mr. Mark Schofield to for giving us his time and his insights to the NFL draft. I'll tell you what's coming up next in a rare Thursday night edition of the Rock Power Report podcast. I'll be back in the kitchen with my friend Chris here as we're joined by one of our favorite guests, Matt Waldman of the RSP Film Room, the rookie scouting portfolio creator. He's going to be joining us for a look at the 2021 running back class. That's right, the next biggest topic of conversation amongst Bills fans. We're going to talk all about the RB1 debate and why it isn't Javante Williams. We're going to be talking about his taking the value of the Bills using pick 30 on a running back, We'll look at where the Bills might be able to find speed and pass-catching at a value in this draft class and a lot more. I'm happy to be out of quarantine. I'm happy I'm finally getting out of the Who's Gal. I hope you all are just as thrilled as I am after hearing this conversation and look forward to three, four more weeks of it as we approach the NFL draft. I could sit here and do this all night, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Kruger. that was Mark Schofield, and this has been the Rockpile Report.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance.